Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we come to the great feast of the Ascension of the Lord. Now, right at the end of the Easter season, in anticipation of Pentecost, and I'll explain that connection. I love this feast, and I think we should do a little theological reflection on it, um, because it it's key to understanding the dynamics of the Christian life. Now, how shouldn't we understand the ascension of the Lord? As though he's gone up, up, and away. <laughs> you know, So the ascension means that Jesus has gone up into the sky, and now he's far away somewhere. See, think about that image of the sky, or the heavens, or up there. Well, that's not really any different than this world. It's just another element of, of space and time. But the Bible and the great tradition use the sky or what's up there or the clouds to symbolize the properly transcendent. I mean, that which goes beyond our ordinary world of space and time, our ordinary experience, is the realm that's proper to God. So, for example, we speak about God being eternal. We don't mean that God just goes on and on. That's like a vampire, <laughs> lives forever. That's not, not what we mean. Eternity is to be outside of time, is to be above time. We speak of God as being everywhere. Well, not like God is, is a oxygen that's you know everywhere on the earth. It means God is above space. He transcends space. So when we speak of Jesus ascending to heaven, we're not talking about a space journey. That's what I'm trying to get across. We're talking about the translation of Jesus from this dimension of space and time now into the dimension of God. But see, mind you, if Jesus went on a space journey and is now way up there beyond, you know, the solar system, well then, yeah, he's a long way away from us. But if what we mean is, no, he's gone into this higher realm, he's actually closer to us more available to us than he was before. Let me give you an example here. This is always to help me. Think of a, of a square, of a, a triangle, and a circle, right, on a two-dimensional plane. So there they are. Now, if I were to introduce a third dimension, well, that square becomes a cube, and that, that triangle becomes a pyramid, and the circle becomes a sphere. It's not as though the circle has been lost. Rather, it's now been brought up to a higher pitch of existence. Another dimension has been introduced, which makes its being richer. The same with the, the square becoming the cube. It's, it hasn't disappeared. It's enhanced, etc. That's a way of getting at what the church means when it speaks of Jesus now ascending into heaven. Taking into that realm something of the earth. So taking this human nature... Our, our humanity, and now translating it into this higher pitch of existence. 
Do you see now why the ascension of the Lord should not just be seen as this kind of one-off, you know, miracle? I guess long ago, Jesus went up into the sky. No, it's talking about something that pertains to all of us because that's our hope. That's our hope. Not, not again, the escape of the soul from the body, but rather the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the flesh, the elevation, if you want, of this lowly body to be a spiritual body, as Paul says. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. A spiritual body, meaning like the square that's become a cube, like the circle that's become a sphere, now at a higher pitch of existence. Where the Lord has gone, we hope to follow. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, as Paul says. That's why the ascension is a feast of hope for us. As we look forward to this resurrection of the body. Okay, so that's kind of the general sense of what I think ascension means. Here's how N.T. Wright puts it, the, um, the uh, Anglican biblical scholar, that it's something of the earth has now been brought to heaven, that heaven and earth have, have met. See, the, the biblical vision is not, let's get rid of the earth, or let's escape from the earth as quickly as we can. That's not biblical. That might be Plato. It's not the Bible. The Bible is heaven and earth meet. Think of the heavenly Jerusalem coming down to earth. That's that same idea of heaven and earth meeting. That's what the ascension is all about. Okay, so with that in mind, let me just say two simple things about the ascended Lord. We say the ascended Lord is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, again, don't think of literal chairs up in the sky. It's a symbol. The one who sits at the right hand of the ruler would be something like a governor or prime minister. The ascended Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father is now the one who is ruling in the Father's name, who is now directing affairs upon the earth. Now, everybody, now read the Acts of the Apostles. That's exactly what that book is all about. We've, we've heard the story of Jesus, all the things that he said and did. Now, risen and ascended to this higher pitch of existence, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus now directs the operations of his church. I've used the image before, but it's helpful. It's not really true anymore militarily, but if you go back to the maybe 19th century, it was still true that the soldier, the general, tried to get a, a position on the heights, tried to get up to, a, to an elevated place, and there he could survey the whole field of battle and direct operations. Well, think here of the ascended Christ at a higher point of vantage where he can now govern and direct his church. But read the Acts of the Apostles. What do the apostles do? What are their acts? Well, they're exactly what Jesus did. He preached, they preached. He healed, they healed. He suffered, they suffered. He won the victory, they win the victory. The ascended Christ, the general of the army, the one seated at the right hand of the Father, is now the one who is animating his church. Now, the ascension is related to Pentecost, I said, and here's why. What's the means by which 
Jesus is directing his church. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit whom he sends, whom he sends into his church, that his church might continue his work in the world. Now, see, what's wonderful, everybody, when you read the Acts of the Apostles in light of this idea, you realize it's still true. It's still literally true. Just a couple nights ago, as I record these words, I'm in confirmation season, so I'm confirming kids all over my diocese. What's confirmation? But the stirring up of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming into these young people, stirring up his gifts, that they might do what Jesus did, that they might proclaim boldly, that they might with courage face down evil and accomplish good, that they might uh, win the victory, that they might suffer for the sake of the kingdom, all of that. What was true in the first century is true today. The ascended Christ sending the Spirit to do his work. Okay, that's one dimension of the ascended Christ. Here's a second one. And to get this, you got to go home, get your Bibles, and open up to the letter to the Hebrews. This wonderful, mysterious text, written certainly by someone who was deeply acquainted with the Jerusalem temple, because it's all about temple worship and sacrifice and so on. But here's his basic insight. For centuries, earthly priests on the Day of Atonement would bring animals for sacrifice into the Holy of Holies. Throughout the year, priests would would facilitate the sacrifice of animals, the pouring out of blood and offering to the Lord. Good? Yeah, good. These are commanded by God. But did they accomplish their purpose? No, was his answer. Why? Well, because the blood of of, of cattle and, and goats and sheep is not sufficient for righting the wrongs of the world. What alone satisfies the Father? Answer, the sacrifice of the Son. Jesus now on the cross, the Lamb of sacrifice, we say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So think of all the lambs and, and sheep and cattle and so on that were sacrificed. Did they take away the sin of the world? Well, not definitively. They were anticipations. They were foreshadowing of this one great sacrifice of the cross. Now, Because the one who performed that sacrifice is not just a human figure, not just a rabbi or a teacher or social reformer, but is the very Son of God, that sacrifice has an eternal dimension. Now, here's the, the climax of the letter of the Hebrews. That sacrifice on Calvary now takes place eternally in the heavenly temple. So yes, on Mount Calvary in around the year 30 AD, but because it has an eternal dimension, it's taking place forever in the heavenly temple. Listen, it's the resurrected and ascended Christ who is eternally presenting this sacrifice to the Father. In space and time, yes, in the year 30, but now eternally, 
in the heavenly temple. Every time we attend Mass, we are communing with this eternal sacrifice of the Son. What takes place on the altar, how important that is, by the way, not just a table, it is that, but also an altar, it's a place of sacrifice, because we represent the sacrifice of Jesus, uniting ourselves to the eternal sacrifice present in the heavenly temple. That's it's powerful, mystical stuff. I, I realize that. And if we think of the Mass as just kind of a religiously themed jamboree, or it's a chance for us to get together and hear stories about Jesus, I mean, that ain't enough. That's not a sufficient understanding of the Mass. The Mass is a link to heaven. It's a link to the risen and ascended Jesus who is presenting his sacrifice eternally before the Father. That wouldn't be possible unless the ascension were true. So think about that now, everybody, as we celebrate this great feast, not of Jesus' absence, no, on the contrary, of his more intense presence to us as the one directing our operations in the world, terrific, and as the one with whom we are united every time we celebrate the Mass. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.